Hey, what's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Brian Kramer, and welcome to episode 119 of Crossover Commerce. This is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest experts in the Amazon and e-commerce space to you, the listener who's watching or listening to us to today. We're going to have insights and topics in the most asp- most important aspects of the Amazon and e-commerce space, and of course, selling online. Uh, but when you're looking to add to your workforce, the question about today is, how are you searching for talent and how are you going to hire that talent? How do you make better decisions around investing into your staff? Probably the one of the most important investments that you can make to date as a business owner. And at scale, growing internationally, you want to make sure that you're hiring the best talent, especially if you can't hire them in person, let alone if they're around the world. How are you going to be able to do that when you're investing into those kinds of resources? So we're going to talk about that today. Today's episode is titled, of course, then finding the best e-commerce talent for your team. Of course, as always, Crossover Commerce is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Without Ping Pong, we wouldn't be here today, but Ping Pong transfers more than $150 million a day for e-commerce sellers and businesses just like you, maybe. Helping over 1 million customers now worldwide, they've transferred over $90 billion in cross-border payments. That includes paying your VAs, paying your manufacturers, your suppliers, however your functionality might be. And if you're scaling across different countries around the world, you're going to need a solution like Ping Pong. So go ahead and check out that today. Sign up is free. Go ahead and click on the link in the show notes below. Thank you, Ping Pong, for sponsoring the show, as always, and of our other partners, uh, StreamYard and Casted, for helping support this show. I want to give a quick shout out to them. But without them uh, or myself, if it was just me on this show, it would be one heck of a show. Be a little boring, I think, in my my own personal opinion. But that being said, I bring on the best and brightest in the Amazon e-commerce space. It's about my guests. That's why I want to bring you and the listeners into today to get their insights and expertise um, to this specific topic. So I brought on today Yoni Kuzminski. He spent uh, the bulk of his career to date 10 plus years prior to Amazon and Multiply Me and Scala in digital marketing and creative advertising in countries like Australia, cities like Los Angeles, Tel Aviv in uh, Israel, and developing a strategy, uh, digital strategy for the likes of Mercedes-Benz, MasterCard, Sony, uh, Medtronic, Diabetes, uh, the list goes on and on. Those are not small names, folks. This is a big time strategy that he worked with and big time companies that he worked with. And then, of course, in 2018, he earned uh, and entered the Amazon space successfully scaling an Amazon business from 2 million to 5 million approximately one year, which is big props to him. Utilizing his experience in digital advertising and building a fluid process and a team of aggr- incredibly talented individuals in the Philippines that would have cost anyone else six to seven times uh, more expensive than what he was working with them. So built his team and businesses at Multiply Me and Scala. But since the last time he topped on the show, of course, we wanted to give a shout out to himself starting his own podcast with the company. Um, he started Successful Scales, where you can hear candid discussion with the, how now successful business owners and early startup employees and uh, talk about their challenges and their experience on their road to success and where and what they can learn uh, from their wisdom. So he's also now become a podcaster himself. So I want to welcome to Christopher Commerce once again, Yoni Kuzminski from Multiply Me. Yoni, what is going on, man? Let me put you in there. There we go. <laughs> How are we doing, buddy? Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for the, the kind words and the uh, warm introduction. It's a pleasure to be here. Of course, you know that uh, everyone who I have on the show is a friend of the show, but 
it's almost like a proud friend or a proud parent moment when you see people go out and do other projects. Not to say that I'm the one who inspired you, but let's be honest, <laughs> you have so much experience. I uh, know a lot of people in the same space. You have this amazing podcast and you have just two amazing flourishing businesses, but uh, there's so much going on with you, man. And that's just not the half of it. You were in Tel Aviv when the craziness was going on over there in Israel. So I know we were checking in with each other nowadays, but there's just been going on a lot going on. So I want to have you back on the show. Yeah. Well, first, uh, again, thanks for having me. And I yeah, definitely uh, starting going down the podcast journey myself and, you know, recording, I think somewhere close to 50 episodes now. I have a newfound appreciation for what you do and anyone who sits in effectively not the hot seat, but the seat that's asking all the questions. It's a different skill set. Um, you know, I started it from a position of learning too. I wanted to interview people who had built enormous businesses, overcome a lot of the challenges that I face and I would say many other business owners face in the day-to-day. -day. And so that's been that's been the driving force and it's been an incredibly educational experience for me. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you, mate. I definitely have a bit of inspiration on the back of uh, Crossover Commerce here. Well, a lot of people don't understand that this is the easiest way to get a front row seat and learning from professionals who not just uh, walk the walk, they talk the talk too. So that's why it's the easiest way to learn from people. When events are coming back, you not, might not be able to hear them on stage, but hey, this is a, a forum where we can learn from a one-on-one -on -one co candid conversation from those kinds of people. So I'm really excited to have you on. And again, there's just so much going on in the world. Where can we learn from either books? If it's not books, if it's not uh, in conferences, I think it's the likes of podcasting. So this is the kind of exciting journey that we've been on. A lot of people of learning from the space. So I, I think it's really exciting. Maybe, maybe to kick off the thing, what's your favorite thing that um, maybe about podcasting right now before we hop into our topic today that you've learned from your, about yourself? Well, it's funny. It's funny that you asked that question. I actually put an article out not that long ago about the effectively eight things that I've learned while podcasting. I'd say that the most valuable skill that I've picked up is active listening. So rather than being in the hot seat here and, you know, I'm just simply firing answers back and, you know, you do that stuff effectively in your sleep, you have to sit there, you have to engage, you have to listen. So I would say just as a whole, learning how to listen better and actually hear what people are saying has been extremely valuable to, you know, just personal growth and evolution. Absolutely. Is there a word or phrase that you, after listening to yourself, that you feel that you overuse or you say a lot? Funnily enough, yes, uh, there's plenty. Um, I would say that the number one, and it's the most bizarre, is I say buckle up. And I have no <laughs> idea. Have is no that the catchphrase we're going to use for the successful scales is buckle up, folks? So, so on the initial intro, it literally says buckle up and enjoy. And we left it in there. I'm actually about to re-record the intro. I've got a number of sponsors now and people sort of getting behind it. And I have to re-record. But, you know, I'm almost tempted to leave it in there because it's, it's just the most ridiculous comment to have. Buckle there up. you go. We have a lot. Of, we have Facebook <laughs> users saying "buckle up." So yeah. <laughs> I have a notion of who that might be, but uh, but yeah. Well, that's the thing too. Myself personally, the more and more you talk, you get not just the ums or the uhs. That that comes with time, and the more comfortable you get with speaking. But a lot of people have their own phrases when they're describing. That's interesting. I say a lot. I, I figured that was who it was. It was Sharon. Sharon, thanks for joining in. Uh, and we'll watch, watching today. She's 
amazing also doing her own oh, show yeah, sure. once a week. So, uh, but I, I say, what's up ever? Like that's my intro. What's up. Yep. And when I was celebrating my 100th episode, my team put together this montage of me doing all these what's up everyone's. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I didn't know that was a thing, but after 100 times of doing it, it must be a thing in my subconscious. So that's interesting that you say buckle up. That's a, that's a funny notion. <laughs> I've, I can, I can take it even further. I, in my bloopers, when I'm pre-recording uh, the intro, I say the F word countless times to the point where they created a whole montage of, uh, of me just saying F. Yeah, I watched that bloopers and I said, I can't imagine how long I would be. If I wasn't recording live, uh, we would have a lot of times I'd be like, all right, stop it here and cut it off because I would be knocking a lot of uh, cursors up. But that being said, it's, it's, a, it's a growing aspect of things and we're constantly learning. Uh, but with your businesses, uh, you're, you're talking about scaling and growth and we're talking about recruiting around the world. Over the last 16 months, it's been somewhat of a challenging enterprise, I would think, of businesses trying to figure out at scale, how are we going to continue to grow? But then also, how can we do it in the likes of uh, not being in person? So that that's where obviously businesses like yours come in and multiply me. But what, what's kind of been the evolution of the finding talent online, not just in the country you might be in, but even around the world and just being comfortable with your team growing remotely? Yeah, well, well I would say like as a general rule of thumb, there is a huge uh, shortage when it comes to supply, when we look at all things talent in the e-commerce and Amazon space. So the the growth of, I think, the late, the last number I heard is 10 years in 10 months was sort of the growth that e-commerce saw over the, you know, the pandemic period. And so as a result, it's not just the US, which has seen, you know, in some cases, two years experience, Amazon PPC specialists, which I wouldn't say is the toughest uh, skill set on planet Earth. You know, it's very analytical and it's, it's, it, you're going to be specialized. It's not like having creative marketing and having Facebook as, a, as an understanding with the design element and then the segmentation of audiences. But that's gone from, say, you know, an entry level, you're talking, at, you know, two years in up to $85,000, you know, in the US. And that, that's going to break the bank for a lot of, agencies, e-commerce businesses, Amazon businesses, you know, if that's just one team member that they need to bring in, it's been, I guess, across the board has just been under supply, over demand. And you're even seeing things like acquihires where companies are being acquired, you know, in the private equity and aggregated space just right. to take on the talent. So, you know, it's it's been a pretty crazy ride and I don't feel like we're going to see it change anytime in the uh, immediate future. Well, that's, that's the fascinating thing I would agree with you is there's this talent grab, if you will. It's not just a company grab, it's a talent grab of as these aggregators continue to grow, but not just the aggregators, as businesses at scale continue to grow, it can be costly. You, you see the likes of Thrasio, I think the last statistic I saw was they hired 100 employees in a month, which to me doesn't, a business may not seem that much at an enterprise level, but on e-commerce scale, if you're a startup and you're less than two years old, that's a quick growth factor to get people onboarded, to get processes in place, to everyone figure out, all right, you're hired on, hit the ground running, and we have to start turning out results quickly. That's a lot. And to find talent of that scale, it might not just be in the e-commerce world. It might be in the logistics world. It might be in the advertising world. So 
Well, who who's doing it? Who's doing it the best right now? Do you think? Like, is there a company or companies out there that you think, on your side, have have been doing very well at this kind of aspect? Well, I'd say any company that can successfully onboard and hire a hundred people in a month has to have some very well oiled process and and procedure in place. That's that's really really impressive. So you know, I I wouldn't be able to name names of who's you know who's doing it the best and who's hiring you know the best talent um what i will say though and i think you know what this conversation should probably center around is how do you actually get yourself prepared and how do you actually find the right talent and what does the right talent look like you know if you can answer all of those questions then it doesn't it shouldn't matter if it's a hundred or one or five thousand employees in terms of how you approach the process of identifying attracting and managing the performance of you know of highly functional teams right so what's that what's that process look like then in your mind of you and your team are trying to educate people hey this is this is the right way to approach these kinds of uh conversations or processes what's that what's that process start what's ground one just understanding the the needs of the company yeah so i'd say like you know multiply me aside I would say that the objective first, and and this is a challenge I would say that I come across, particularly with smaller sellers, is they'll come in and they'll think that they need a digital marketing manager, let's say, or an Mm -hmm. Amazon, uh, you know, an Amazon e-commerce manager or whatever the title they give the role. And so, you know, then when you dive a little deeper and you start asking the questions, well, what's the objective that you're actually trying to solve for here? And they're like, well, I just want to, you know, you start prodding a little bit and you get to the point where, are we trying to drive traffic to our Amazon store? Are we trying to grow an audience outside of Amazon? Do we need a content strategy? Are we a service-based business? Are we trying to build, you know, B2B experiences from a digital marketing perspective? So when you start to dig in, often where you get to is, oh, well, all I really want to do is I just want to increase my, my, um, I want to increase my traffic to Amazon, right? And so then you can take them down the road of saying, well, are we doing this through paid media? Are we doing this through a play that's through a partnership? You know, what what are we actually trying to solve? So I think like before you even get into the recruitment process and hiring, it's really about what is the job description? What am I actually trying to solve from a business perspective and working backwards to defining what does that look like? I think that it's like one of the things where don't just grab something that you find off Indeed or Monster or, you know, um, any of these websites that you'll actually be able to see sample like they're great i even jump on them to find examples you know and you can bring a few together but really think like what is this person uniquely going to solve inside of my business and why am i bringing them on what are they going to own and what does their deliverables look like what is the outcome what does success look like in in the hire in the first instance so i'd say like that's the starting point is really think through what is the problem i'm trying to solve in my business and that's how you can start to create an actual uh, an actual job description that meets the needs of the business well here's the also the 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 problem i see right after that is how do you how do you quantify that or how do you name that that i think the number one problem to me personally is this space is so unique and multifaceted we all have different components that overlap each other so how do you name aspect that job or that description because people can say i can be chief marketing officer, but you can also say that role and title can mean something completely different and be a different title or the same, but have a different title for a different company, like digital marketing manager or 
uh, brand ambassador or all these kinds of things where the title is different, but you're searching for different titles instead of the actual job quantity itself. Is that an issue you see coming across a lot? Well, I would say if, if the objective is just to put a job description together, then, you know, you're not really achieving the, the outcome driven by the business. So I'd say that, right. you know, whether it's brand evangelist or it's brand ambassador, what's the objective of this person? So let's take, let's take a podcast, for example, let's take successful scales. So why did I start the podcast, right? What are the success metrics? of the podcast maybe not the best example but i've started so i'm gonna i'm gonna give you i'm gonna keep going with it so for me you know i grew from a team of four to 140 in you know under 18 months and so didn't matter how much i read i needed to learn faster and the best way i knew how to get in front of the faces of people that otherwise i wouldn't dream of speaking to was to start a podcast and give them some mm -hmm. sort of notoriety and exposure so the kpi and success metric is can i get access to the right people that I can actually have conversations with that's going to help us grow, multiply me and Escala as businesses? Yes, no. If yes, then that's that's a first success. Then as you get into podcasting, well, you learn that there's all these other ancillary benefits that come with it. So on top of being able to speak to the right people, it's amazing the networks that you can create. So now I have, you know, 50 people at least that I can turn over, you know, I can tap on the shoulder and say, hey, I've got this opportunity, I've got this interesting idea, I've built this professional network, and I would say that that's almost been as, if not more valuable than it. And then I would say on top of that, all of a sudden you start to obviously build a little bit of notoriety. I mean, I was foolish, I didn't ever promote, to date at least, sponsors around Multiply Me and Escala. It was, <laughs> it was never about, you know, it was never really about how do I generate business? It was always about right. how do I educate myself and how do I educate anyone who's willing to sort of go through this journey with me and listen to the questions that I have also knowing that the people that I'm looking to attract are probably at a similar level or you know maybe they don't have as many team members as as I do or they haven't grown as quickly or whatever but they can learn from the questions I'm asking because maybe I'm a few steps ahead of them in that evolution and made you know a million more mistakes than they have so hopefully I can help them reduce it so I'm saying if you break that all down and you think okay what am I looking for? Podcast host, let's say. Right. So I'm creating the job description because I'm trying to learn faster. So is this person going to help achieve that? I'm trying to build a better professional network and I'm trying to build some brand advocacy or awareness around it. So that would be how I'd then track it. So you can apply that to brand ambassador and you can break it down. It's, it's creating effectively smart goals. So forget all the jargon that you, this person must possess and five years experience, like, you know, forget the five years, 10 years experience inside of Amazon in particular, you're not going to find it. And if you do, it's a waste, it's a waste of money, in my opinion, because you're going to be paying way too much for a skill set that if you just invested in your onboarding, training, and induction process, and really gave people the room to grow, you'll save yourself a ton of money, and you'll find someone who's super eager to actually grow with the business. So, you know, that's, that's a, I'm deviating here, but that's, you know, one of the considerations I would say. Well, I think with that being said, there's a lot of people that, that have to fit these exact profiles. And I think that's the point you're trying to make too, if I'm listening correctly, is you you can find people, pe when, when someone, I'll, I'll, I'll apply this internally too for myself. When people took a chance on me, they looked at me and said, hey, you have the willingness to drive and learn. Um, I like that about you. You may not have these qualifications of 
you've had throughout five years experience in terms of like performance marketing or anything like that. Um, but if you can learn it, you can might be mold, not moldable, but you might have the capability to scale quicker and not have all those other negative fa facilities to hold you back in that regard. So there's a positive and negative of that regards. I think when you're looking for talent, how do you match up what they're searching for versus what you have you're like offering out there? So I guess that's, that's where we're trying to bridge that gap. You're searching for people who have the capability to grow and scale with you, like you said, uh, successful scales. I, I'm assuming as part of the as part of the the name title in that regards. But what's the what's the number one virtue that people are just putting too much emphasis emphasis on, but they shouldn't be? Does that make sense? Like, what are they looking yeah, for? Yeah, but I, it, it's just like an over over virtue. I got the answer for you right away, and that is three, four, five, ten years of Amazon experience. And so just my, a number and just the number, Amazon putting experience. it putting a number and Amazon experience into it. I would say even putting specific Amazon experience inside of the the job description. And I'll give you I I, I want to take the conversation in two two areas. One is to your point before, people took a chance with you and they gave you the opportunity and as a result you flourished because you've you've explored, you've understood you've really done the work to get to where you are today. And so there's a great book by Mark Roberge. He, I don't know if I mentioned it to you last time we, we connected, but uh, the book is called The Sales Acceleration Formula. And in it, he was the one who actually grew the HubSpot team from zero to 100 million in recurring revenue in seven years. And so he wrote a whole book about, you know, how he approaches scaling, um, scaling sales teams and I, I read the book and I don't have a sales team, but I took a lot from a lot of the methodology and the insights that he put together and he looked at hiring characteristics for successful salespeople, but I actually think that they're applicable for any successful people and, and those are coachability, curiosity, prior success, intelligence and work ethic. So okay. when, when you put those together, um, those are things that I would actually put a much higher weighting than direct, you know, examples of work one-to-one. -one. So, you know, when, when, when he defines prior success, for example, and I can give Lippy, my co-founder, as an example, Lippy had no success working inside of an Amazon business, let alone business in general. But he'd spent five years nearly as an elite combat soldier in, in, a, in a position where he had 100 uh, soldiers under him. And so when it comes to him being able to manage a team, I think that it's going to be a whole lot lower stress for him to ma manage a team that's selling on Amazon than, you know, in the line of live fire. So, you know, that's one of the things that, that Mark actually really ladders on is that prior success doesn't need to be in an exact field. So, you know, when we're talking about things put, people put too much waiting on, um, it's that one-to-one -one experience, you know. When you talk about people giving you a chance, like, Curiosity and coachability for me are two of the most important. So curiosity, simply put, is your ability to ask the right questions, to right. to actually be active, you know, not just in the interview. You know, I've had now, I can't even tell you how many times this has happened and this is also another thing that people should consider too is passive versus active recruitment. So active recruitment is defined by when you put a job posting out and you're looking, you know, you've, you put the job description together, you've really done the work and you've, let's say you've nailed it, then people start applying versus passive where 
there's not necessarily people that are searching for the role, but you know the best people to employ typically are employed. It's you know, it's a it's a fact of the world. So I know inside of Multiply Me, that's a huge focus for us. We have ten recruiters. They're constantly headhunting talent to find better talent. And so, you know, when you're going through this process and you're looking for curiosity and coachability, we've hired now in the past, I would say, three months, maybe five team members who we just found like they weren't applying for the role. They were just, they felt like a right cultural fit. In two instances, we made up roles for them just because of how much of a fit they were in the business and the direction and how, you know, in, in Amazon, there's a great book called Working Backwards. Um, you know, they go through sort of the leadership principles and how things are. But um, one of the things they talk about is um, the STAR method, which I'll talk to you about in a little bit, which is a is a behavioral questioning technique on how you can actually get to the core of like, what did someone actually do inside of the interview? But it's, are you looking for coordinators, people that are just sort of like moving things around and, you know, getting things from A to B, or are you looking for builders, people that are actually creating? And so, you know, when you wrap all of that in together and you look at, you know, active, uh, you look at passive recruiting, finding someone who wasn't necessarily looking for a job and then finding someone who was a true builder, you know, and then creating that leadership and that autonomy opportunity for them. I mean, that's where, at least from a personal level, I'm seeing the greatest success with the growth of our business is how do we hand off that accountability so that someone really owns what they have to deploy day in, day out. Well, you, you brought to mind something I'm, I'm assuming the person listening to this is also going to have that light bulb go off too, is the best people are probably employed. I don't think you have people like Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos just sitting around waiting for uh, a job posting to just go up online and for them to like apply for that. I don't think you have the talent or that scale uh, that's just going to be sitting around waiting, they're going to be actively working for somebody because someone sees value in them. So that being said, is it a negative? Why, why does headhunting a negative connotation? Because I think about it as someone's taking from one, leaving them with less, and achieving and giving more to another. It's almost like the Robin Hood method of talent, of maybe someone with more money can award those who can't afford you know, to keep them around. Why is that a negative mentality? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. See, I'm trying to figure out, like, do I see it as a negative or not? I would say that, yeah, maybe people can perceive it as as headhunting. I'd say that headhunting in its nature is a lot more hardcore than simple recruitment in the sense that, you know, you are hunting for someone. You're literally going out there trying to identify someone and... I don't know. I, I, I don't know why it has the negative um, connotation to it. Um, but I would say that that approach definitely yields a better outcome. And, you know, there's many different ways in which you attract talent to your business. You know, uh, you know from a personal perspective, um, I spent a year trying to convince our now director of client engagement to come and work with us. An entire year before Multiply Me was even a business, I found I found her on a sales funnel. I was looking to, to understand the landscape and she was probably the 30th or 40th business. And I just said, listen, I've got this great idea. I want to revolutionize the way you, we approach uh, executive search and HR into the Philippines. I want it to be fair paid. I want people working from home and I want to really invest in the onboarding, the performance management. How do we actually help educate people to run better companies and 
she's like, I don't know who you are. You don't have a business. You've got no clients. Like, (laughs) seriously, like, I really like you. You seem like a really nice guy, but what are you talking about? And so every few months I would check in with her and I'd give her the progress and it was this whole long-winded effort. But now we've been working together six months and it was, you know, one of, if not the best hire that we've had in the business. And it's all because of that passive candidate or that active I get confused. It's like uh, the passive candidate. That's right. Um, right. Where she was not looking for an opportunity, but only once one is presented to them of, you know, this is a culture that you can get behind. This is, you know, a, a pay rise that you can get behind. This is an opportunity that's going to help you evolve and grow your career. You're going to be more instrumental in the business. We're less established, you know. So I would say like another important thing to consider, especially given the climate of how challenging it is to find great talent is businesses also have to be very cognizant of the fact they need to sell the company and the opportunity too. It's not this like one-way door situation where I'm the owner of a business and I simply come in and you're lucky to be interviewing with me. I think in the first place, people shouldn't think like that. But if they are, just understand that you need to sell that opportunity to the person and get them excited about it as much as as much as they need to want to work there too. Like it's uh, it's got to be... Uh, you know, you've got to harmonize that experience so that both of you go into it knowing that this is a a great decision. You know, you don't want to see this fall down three months, six months, 12 months because, I mean, we could do a whole other section, Ryan, on the cost of of, uh, hiring and firing talent and the true, you know, the true weighting of what does it mean to actually hire someone for six months and then let them go and how long does it take to get them effective in your business? But let's not even touch that one. Right. We'll we'll have to keep that for part three of our conversations until next time. But is there, uh, to kind of stay in this track of recruitment, recruiting talent, is there a threshold that it's, it's either a mentality state or is it a, uh, you know, job description state of these kind of like, you you think of C-level executives, you have to think of executive searches and things like that. But then you're talking about PPC manager and it maybe feels like it's downgraded a little bit when what's the psychology behind certain titles within a company because going back to before you can be a team of five to ten and your only marketing person can be the chief marketing officer but it could be someone who's just in charge of everything on the marketing side but on a amazon side of thing the chief marketing officer could be literally overseeing all these vice presidents and then under them have hundreds if not thousands of talent there's there's a scalability of what that means but does title matter to people or is it what what's the number one thing that matters to people yeah well i'd say firstly brilliant question uh and i think you're going to get a different response from different people particularly to be totally candid i feel like there's bigger weighting placed on a job title in the us than in in many other regions uh realistically for me i think title is bullshit um, I don't want the CEO title. Anyone can can have it. You know, it's actually the worst defined role out of all of them. Just to also for that clarity too. But I think that it doesn't matter what is written on your email signature. It's actually what do you do day to day, and what are you actually enabling the business to do to actually move the needle, whatever that is in your position. So I think that what it really comes back to is how well adept are you into understanding when you're going through this process, whether it's passive or active recruitment, how well informed and educated are you to make good decisions and ask the right questions to get to the answers of 
well, what did this person actually do in their day-to-day? What were they actually accountable for? What were their achievements? You know, a lot of people, I'll give you a prime example. The thing that frustrates me the most looking at resumes is you simply have like, I did this and this, you know, this is, I was responsible for, you know, managing, sourcing, recruiting, hiring talent, end-to-end recruitment, for example, for a recruitment manager. Whereas I don't really care what it says in, you know, in a few lines or a few sentences on a piece of paper. Anyone can write, I did the end-to-end recruitment process. What I want to understand really is what did you achieve? What did you, while you're at in your tenure at your previous businesses, what did you achieve in that role? And so I mentioned before, and I'll probably butcher it. Um, it's a technique, honestly, um, that I'm, I've only become more familiar with of late. You know, obviously, I'm fortunate that I have a very talented recruitment army effectively under me. So they do <laughs> a lot of this work beforehand. But one of the techniques that they use and is, is notorious at Amazon is the STAR method for, for behavioral questions. And the STAR, the STAR method stands for situation, task, action, and results. So the way you can actually get to the crux of well, what is this person actually delivered is by going through these behavioral questions. So you, you effectively set the scene with the situation. So, you know, an example might be, tell me, tell me about a time where you started a podcast and, you know, what were some of the biggest challenges that you experienced in starting that podcast? And so you would obviously outline the response around, well, you know, here we are sitting on crossover commerce by ping pong. And, you know, I found it really hard to find guests at the start or, you know, I couldn't, whatever it is. And then, and then you sort of, the, the interview will start to define, well, okay, so you said that you, you've named that it was hard to, to get started. Well, what, what goals were you actually working toward? What were you trying to achieve with this podcast? So I start to understand, you know, what were you actually doing? What was the metrics? And then what actions did you take? What were the actual desired actions describing them to me. So now I can start to understand, well, you know, Ryan not only came up with a construct around the podcast, he also Mm -hmm. spearheaded it, recorded it himself, did his own post-production work, did the promotion, sourced all the guests. Like, here I have someone, you know, and what were the results? And you can say, well, I've had 119 episodes, I think I heard in the most motivational intro to any podcast on planet Earth. I challenge (laughs) anyone I, you, I'm sitting there in the waiting room just like, let's go, baby. Um, but the, you know, and then you can really define the results. Like it yielded X number of, you know, traffic to ping pong payments right. or this number of people actually signed up or we generated this amount of impressions and reach and our brand awareness is through the roof or our LinkedIn grew from 20,000 to, you know, you can really start to quantify metrics as yep. as the results. And so, going through a behavioral questioning sequence like that really enables you to get to the core of, well, who is this person and can they actually achieve, you know, what what I hope they can for the business? And I think like from a personal level, I left a lot of that to my recruitment team. And recently I rocked up to an interview where I, I'm becoming, you know, for better or for worse, further removed from our daily operation. So I'm sitting and working more on the business today than ever before rather than in it. But as a result, I rocked up to an interview and I wasn't prepared. You know, I didn't have the quintessentials ready. I, I didn't have the star method. This is, you know, months ago now. And so that put me into this, 
how do I leverage every resource I fortunately have in the business? And I went and I interviewed all the recruiters and, you know, I looked at our SOPs and our training videos and our documentation and I took a lot of this knowledge and, you know, we're sitting here today because I know how much that changed the way in which I'm approaching recruitment now from a personal level. Um, I'm sure that a lot of people will get a ton of value in just implementing a few of these uh, insights and techniques. Yeah. Where are, where are people most stuck? in our industry, I would think, because this is what I think, uh, what I'm coming across. There's a lot of service providers in the Amazon e-commerce space that are trying to hire at scale, um, more so than others, but there's, there's certain aspects. I think that they just feel stuck where there it's certain individuals that they're trying to hire for or trying to stand out from the crowd. Is there, is there a metric or like a, quality that they're looking for that is just like you said bullshit or it's not really needed is there something that you're seeing from interacting with all these companies yeah again like i get to we get to work with a pretty broad range of companies you know companies that are doing a million dollars a year companies that are you know probably doing in the billions of dollars a year as well now so when when I look at the scope or the, the gamut, it really depends on where the business is at and their evolution and the owner and what they're trying to achieve. I'd say for smaller businesses, typically, um, especially Amazon businesses where they grow very, very fast and they're used to actually handling things at scale. You know, it's a very different business for, for a product-based business doing, you know, a million dollars a year to $5 million a year lot of moving parts and so what you find is people don't want to invest in training because they're trying to figure things out themselves and so they want someone ready-made but they're also not well educated enough in the recruitment process because this might be the very first time that they're recruiting so I would say that one of the challenges is just having someone there's this disconnect having someone really ready-made and having to pay them an exorbitant amount versus getting someone who's maybe a little bit less ready-made but if you invested in documenting your current state processes and what it's like to buy a PPC or how to optimize your listing creations or, you know, basic things like that, um, you're actually going to yield a better return. So I think the, the the commonality outside of a lot of the companies that have a full on HR and onboarding and performance metrics and KPIs and are really doing things effectively the way in which we do it at Multiply Me with our clients you're, you're hitting this roadblock of I'm not prepared enough to actually induct it on board. And so it just becomes another spot fire. That's why you find a lot of people also go to agencies, which is also a good, uh, you know, a good solution. But the only problem is you're going to pay a premium for that too, because that's how they make money. Right. From a, from a talent perspective, obviously everyone wants to make more money. That's why you're in business is to, you know, for one reason or another to, grow or to uh you know just mate, we live, provide we live in a family. we live in a capitalist society mate right no, no need to pull punches here we're all right. we're all looking you know we're all we, we want to make more we want to yeah i want to buy a nice house for my family feel comfortable we don't have to worry about paycheck to paycheck i think that's everyone's goal in life um when you're at when you're a business though you instantly become not just a capitalist but you become of how do i get the best out of people but not have to pay an arm and a leg for it because you want the best talent, but you don't want to have to pay someone for it. That seems like a, that seems like a rock in a hard place as someone maybe in the space of 
I want to be worth it, but if they don't want to pay me for that worth, how, do I want to work for these people or do I just keep looking? Or how do you find that that symbiotic relationship of earning potential versus not costing you so much instead of going like a commission route or some sort of performance metric route? Yeah, well, I would say that a lot of it will have to come down to the DNA of the business that you work in. So companies that are, I would say, smart, invest in their people. And so I'm always, I would say, you know, speaking from my, from where I sit right now, we've got training programs in place and our single focused objective is how do we promote from within rather than bringing in external talent? It can be pretty disruptive if, you know, you've got a team and it happens to us you know, we just hired a head of recruitment that was external, but for different purposes. And, you know, it, it, it happens. But I think that if you have open dialogue with you know, your manager, with the owners, you know, depending on the size of the business and what the function looks like, if you can have that two-way communication and you can say, these are the areas that I want to grow in, these are the areas that, I mean, let's take the converse approach. Let's say that you're looking for a pay rise. I think that it's always going to be um, more effective rather than just simply saying to your manager, hey, I'm looking for a pay rise. I'm worth I'm worth more than this. I want a 20% pay rise. If you come in and you can actually define the metrics and the impact to business and additional initiatives that you'd love to work on that you think add value to the business and you're very confident in them. I mean, if someone came to me, and I'll give you another example of what's actually happened to us recently, but if someone comes to me internally, has a plan, has can define why, Forget even the, the the salary increase. I'll give them whatever they want. So we had a guy, um, Jab, inside of Multiply Me. He's a business analyst, um, and he effectively builds all of our data. Uh, our data. Uh, we we use Google Data Studios and Power BI to manage our business more effectively. So we have, you know, we understand each of the different stages. We understand the time delays and what's causing it. How do we create? micro improvements. So he effectively pitched us on an idea to build an entire department called the Kaizen department, which means constant improvement in Japanese, where he's now brought on two uh, team members. And now they're building all this outrageous stuff where we're actually starting <laughs> to work with clients on how do we get better tracking and insights into their businesses so that they can actually have better performance. That's through through our consulting practice at Scala. So um, bringing it all back, if you are someone who is looking for growth and better opportunities, no one's looking. No one's going to hand that to you. It's all about initiative. We talked about curiosity before and coachability. You know, intelligence, work ethic. If you can actually hit the nail on the head with each of these characteristics, and you can be proactive in your approach, then you know the owner or the manager who sleeps on you and doesn't give you that opportunity is foolish because. You're not only going to get snapped up by someone else, the likelihood is you'll find somewhere else to go. Right. How much does culture play in the aspect of this? Um, a lot of people put emphasis on perks or just people uh, who you're working with. But even nowadays, so so the, where I'm kind of, kind of going with this is, has that emphasis kind of diminished because more, more and more companies are going more remote, digital? I haven't, to be honest and frank with everyone, I only meet with my company and my boss or my colleagues remotely through a computer like this. I don't have it. I'm not having a beer every day with them or I'm not having happy hour with my team at the end of a work week or anything of that regards. 
what is how much is culture playing on a realm where everyone's now going more re remote so i would say while i'm shouting at my dog here um, it's okay mine's barking in her sleep over <laughs> yeah. here yeah yeah it's so funny um so i would say when it comes to culture for businesses um remote or not remote um you you can still build a culture uh and a strong one too so we have for example every monday we have a monday coffee break where the entire team gets together and we play a game originally it was just talking about the weekend and then when covid hit yeah, the weekends weren't all that exciting so it turned into this competitive game our whole company was singing in teams today um it was terrifying but uh, <laughs> yeah and they recorded it too but the, the the point is you can build a serious culture and i would say that to that effect we've got one just one of our team members has been responsible for eight referrals into our business as bringing in new talent so investing in the culture in the opportunities that you give to people building that you know and culture is everything culture is you know even the conversation we're having right now about if someone comes to me and pitches me on an idea around something that's actually going to impact the business and they care that deeply about it i mean that's culture anything that is going to um, show your other team members like what is the opportunity that exists here how far can i take my career you know how much money can i make how much how many leave days can I have? What every single aspect of it builds into the culture and to what the business looks like. And as a result, um, our strongest, our absolutely strongest way of placing talent outside of headhunting is referrals. So even with talent, so when people understand, for example, with Multiply Me, that we pay healthcare and social security, HMO, PhilHealth, 13th month, Pagibig, like all these things that typically. Uh, businesses that play in the recruitment space into the Philippines don't offer, it builds a message of these guys look at the world differently. They're looking to pay fair salaries. They're looking to actually empower the workforce. They're looking to not have people commute two plus hours each way to a fixed location because that's how things have been historically done. So I think that culture is alive and well. And one of the things that... Um, when I've actually spoken to a US-based e-commerce recruiter, she was actually telling me that if you don't have uh, remote work in your, um, in, your, in your job description anymore, if you're not actually putting that together in terms of the, the job ad, you're actually going to lose a pretty big uh, set of candidates that you might otherwise attract. So having that flexibility, you know, okay, coming on site, half the week, every month, whatever that looks like. But in general, people have gotten used to what is the the evolution or the new age of remote work. And as a result, you actually can shoot yourself in the foot, centralizing your entire operation into a single city or even country these days. Right. It only took a global pandemic to potentially make people move into a more uh, trusting international or remote opportunity for lots of companies. Again, that, that depends on industry by industry, but a lot of adoption has been happening with that regards. I would also like to add on to not just the branding side of things. One of the, our friends of the show, Emma Tamir from marketing by Emma, she know, actually Emma. says, yeah. So Emma, Emma's saying, and this always sticks with me when you're not brand or when you're not branding or marketing, you're branding and marketing. So in this regards, if you're not recruiting or you're not representing a company or you're not talking about them, you're also saying the same thing by not saying 
if that makes sense. Like you're saying a lot by you're saying something by not saying something Uh, that could be a negative or a positive where you can say, hey, I'm taking a stance on this or what are your thoughts on that? And you're like, I'd rather not. You're saying something to that individual, uh, whether they take it positively or negatively. So we're all constantly either recruiting or being representatives of our company in positives or negative lights. So that can help with your passive recruitment um, or even uh, active recruitment in that regards too. Do you have any other thoughts on that? I, first, I think that's a brilliant point, both by you and by Emma. Um, that's, you know, that's at the essence of why you even jump on opportunities to speak on crossover commerce and everything else that you do. You know, the idea for me is when we're built, when building a brand, you know, multiply me, a scala, successful scales, whatever that might be. And I'm not one of those people who are like emotionally attached to the business. It's a vehicle to create opportunities for not just me, but everyone that's working with us. And, you know, mm. I could have a whole conversation about that too. But when you talk about branding as well, I'm also very cognizant of the fact that I'm not sitting here and trying to pull the punches. I'm not trying to sit here and, you know, I've got a recruitment business and I said that I didn't feel prepared enough jumping on to an interview, you know, I'm I'm honest about it. You know, that these are these are opportunities where you can sit here and say, I'm not the best at I mean, I don't feel like I'm the best at anything, but I'm definitely not the best at everything. So there's room for improvement, growth, perpetual growth opportunities. And so even sort of being vulnerable, you know, in, in the face of having a conversation like this with people potentially watching, or definitely people watching, I think that that also helps build your um well, clout isn't the word that I want to use here, but it, it builds that that branding and that authenticity of, you know, this is a real person. You know, you want to build that aspirational, I can do this too, because, you know, five years ago, I didn't know that I could do what I'm doing with the people that I have around me and, the, you know, the opportunities that we've created as a, as a team. And so, you know, I'm also cognizant of that, that I want to sort of push that message that, it's possible for anyone. You really just need to put in the time, effort, energy, and, and I would say most importantly, planning into whatever that looks like. Right. It signals to a lot of different potential partners, employees, um, even customers that you don't feel like that you're, you've hit your peak education level or your growth capital um, level, if you will. I think that if you're vulnerable with people to say, I didn't know that I learned it. Now I can apply it to the future shows the cognizant ability to listen to outside people, take what you know, to apply it to what you're growing with. And then also just the notion that you're going to continue to see further growth. I think it'd be scary to say, yep, I have nothing else to offer. I can't learn anything else. This is where my mind kind of shuts off. I have everything I need to know that signals lack of, you know, compassion, but also the lack of maybe collaboration, if you will, of, nope, I know what I know. I can't be influenced by anything else outside. That that could be a negative sign to a lot of different you know, entities out there. So knowing that you can be negative towards yourself and look like a fool, like I, I know I have in the past, but I apply that towards the future and growing success. And, you know, that's one day and you move on to the next day and you continue to stack and my mantra is be 1% better than yesterday. And you'll look back in three months and say, holy shit, I got way better than it was three months ago. So that's kind of a big component, I think, of constant education, willingness to grow, and then success moving forward as both a personal level and a professional level. Yeah, well, very well put. 
um, I would say even on that notion as well, like I'm trying to grow in every area of, uh, you know, of the space and, and anything that I can learn. And I just recently completed a, a course uh, called Exit DNA by a guy by the name of Mac Lackey, who'd actually be a fantastic guest for you if you're looking for things around the Let's exit process. Let's yeah, take it up. I'll, I'll hook it up. He's, uh, he's an absolute genius. The guy's had six exits. He's uh, an angel investor in over 75 companies, was on the buy wow. side of a multi-billion dollar corporation. So I've sat on this course with him, learning from him directly. And it's just so fascinating. You know, I've got no interest in selling Multiply Me or a Scala at, at this moment in time. There's, you know, it's just not not what I'm trying to do. I think that, you know, so many people are sort of rushing to that exit without thinking about, well, what does my life look like the day after I exit? What does that process look like in actually getting prepared? People don't realize how much work actually goes into it and how you can go through it. So, you know, I'm constantly doing courses and learning and going through this process, even things that, you know, we have, we have two companies here, one that's about building systems for businesses and one's about recruitment. And I still dive in going through the entire process on both functions. How do I get better at this? How do I continue to, like you said, improve by 1% incrementally? Because over time, you'll just, you'll be much better for it. And still the person who turns around to you and says that I've got it figured out is the, you know, is the minute that I personally walk or, you know, turn around and leave the room. Right. What's the, uh, maybe ask uh, kind of a funny question of you, well, Yoni, what's the worst job you've ever had and why? The worst job I ever had. Do you know what? This is going to sound a little bit, uh, it's going to be a little bit cliche here, um, but I don't think I've ever had a bad job. And, and the reason why is because even when I would say I can tell you the worst manager I ever had and the worst, <laughs> the worst person that we'll I keep them out of it, they'll be safer another day. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just saying like one of my first jobs was actually in recruitment and the, the owner of the business was the worst manager I've ever had. Hands down. Absolutely terrible. For he what was, reason? For what reason? Yeah micromanage was unaware of what the output was there was no success metrics or kpis tracked it was uh, def definite on single-minded focus on just the output of how many people did i place like mm. there was no investment in my education there was nothing but what i will tell you is just by sitting near him seeing how he operated understanding you know i reckon he's probably the greatest recruiter that ever lived the guy is an absolute freak. He's just not a great manager. And so, you know, I can start rattling off other book recommendations, but I think it is inside of um, the e-myth that they talk about when you start a business, you know, you're no longer just the, the expert in the delivery. You also become the manager. And I think the leader, I'm probably butchering it, but the point is that he wasn't, he wasn't successful in two of the three. He was the best you know, tactician or the person to actually execute on it, he shouldn't have had a business because he never had the foresight to actually work on all these other things and improve on it. So, you know, what was the worst job I ever had? I'd say that that was the one that probably brought me the most stress, angst and anguish to the point where I actually resigned, left a $30,000 commission when I was in my early 20s uh, or even late teens, I forget and took an unpaid internship at a digital marketing agency. But that provided that growth and that 
Exactly. So that provided opportunity for you to grow even further. So you mentioned books too. And I also wanted to understand too, you've heard from a lot of people, what's a book that belongs on everyone's shelf if they're an entrepreneur? I've got plenty. <laughs> um, I would say that depending on where you sit, uh, one of my favorites is Good to Great by Jim Collins. Okay. So fantastic book. Uh, I'll rattle off a few more. If you're looking for Leadership Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. Um, I would say if you're really on the journey of just starting to read professional books, there's one that you can't miss, and I'm sure you've heard it before, but The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Right. Yep. Th those there's, are all fantastic. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll make, yeah, we'll make sure we link to that. And I know you always post about great books and things that you're reading um, and successful business leaders and whatnot. So, and of course, obviously that means you should be connecting with Yoni if you haven't already on LinkedIn. Uh, but that being said, there's, there's one more thing that's in the room that we have to take note of is two days of Epic deals. Amazon prime day is today. I uh, would uh, be remiss if I didn't mention that today and tomorrow are the two biggest quote unquote manufactured days in Amazon space history. What are you most excited about? Is it boring to you? Do we even talk about it or is it on your radar? What, what's kind of uh, the thing that you're thinking about when prime day comes up? Well, right now I'm thinking I can't wait till this finishes and I'm just going to absolutely scour Amazon for all the deals that are up. Um, but, you know, I mean, it comes it comes around every year. If you haven't planned for what your inventory and logistics planning and, and everything looks like, you know, you, you probably waited uh, too long here. Surprise, um, it's here. Yeah, yeah exactly. surprise, it's here. But I would say it'll be interesting to see sort of the numbers and, you know, the impact of moving the date and the pandemic. And I just think that from from where we sit right now in it, it's going to be an interesting outcome from the pulse of like where is where is Amazon this year versus last year versus you know factoring in all these different forces that are beyond control from the challenges of getting uh, freight from China to the US like it'll just be interesting to see how and what products people are purchasing and yeah I'm very excited for the outcome of of what it looks like. And the initial indication from sellers that I've heard is it's already been a good day. So that being said, as a seller perspective, sounds like it's going to continue to grow no matter what, even if it seems manufactured or pushed. I think a lot of people are just happy that Amazon does these kinds of things, but we'll see what the data shows at the end of the day. It's growth, hopefully, obviously, and um, hopefully more success for sellers uh, as they continue on this day and tomorrow. Hopefully nothing bad snafus happens to their business, but that means that it's kind of a hectic day today and tomorrow and leading up after this. So it's kind of a, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, the learnings from this going into Q3 and Q4, especially with inventory um, going into those dates too, but wouldn't be remiss if we didn't cap off the show. How can people connect with you? Where are we going to see you next? Or how can we uh, listen to uh, successful scales? Yeah. So if you're looking to get in touch, uh, you can always check out Multiply Me, but me is spelled with mii.com or weareescala.com is our consulting practice. Um, you'll get onto either me or our director of client engagement. Happy to walk you through the process and help educate you first and foremost on, on you know the hiring process or what it looks like to actually improve processes and systems in your business. Um, successful scales, it's just successful scales dot com and you know a couple of episodes come out every week you can subscribe to it on 
all the classic channels, Apple Music uh, or Apple Podcast, Spotify, etc. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's. I think I've answered your question. You've got you've got the plug down, man. It, it, it's worked. I always forget. I always leave one out. Amazon Music is one that I always forget. That is a thing. Uh, but I should be remiss. You can listen to us for free on Amazon. Just search for Crossover Commerce or maybe even uh, Successful Skills through Amazon's platform. Um, and you can just listen through their their uh, podcasting uh, journey, if you will, or their platform. Uh, but yeah, it, I, I love the things that you're doing there, there man. It's uh, it's good to see growth. You're going to be in the United States here in the next week or so. So we're hopefully going to coordinate an in-person meetup in that regard. So Exciting to see. What do you have on your radar the rest of the year? Is it events? Is it going to be touching and seeing people in person again? Is that kind of your goal and radar on your radar? Yeah, I mean, that's a super exciting prospect. So I knew I'd forgotten something. But yeah, I'm flying over to the States uh, this week on Thursday. So I've been on the West Coast doing a bit of a trip, though. I'm going to enjoy. Funny, after living there for three years, I, I there were like things that I missed. So I'm going to actually spend some time in Napa and Yosemite and really enjoy uh, a little bit of a trip. Um, but after that, yeah, I'll, I'll hopefully get to that meetup in LA that we were talking about. And honestly, the trigger for coming across was, was the Prosper show. So just sure. super, super excited to, I mean, there's literally, you know, hundreds of people at this stage that I've spoken to. And I would say tens that I have very deep seated relationships with even people that we're looking to start businesses with that I've never met face to face in the flesh. And so very, very excited. Um, for the rest of the year, I mean, let's see how this trip goes. I have to figure out how to, <laughs> I have to figure out how to get a coronavirus test within seventy-two hours of this flight, and uh, you know, everything is still not. Uh, I mean, I've been vaccinated, so I don't know what right. they're going to find, but whatever. Um, but I think bring, that, the end, bring that passport. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I'd love to get it over to the West Coast, like we were saying before. I'd love to get to a show on the West Coast, maybe New York, toward the end of the year. Um, yeah, I, I would love to see some people again. Absolutely. And that's the thing is now that I'm trying to figure out if this trip is happening, this is, this would be the first trip for myself, uh, on a plane in a long time. So I'm just even mentally preparing for this, this journey and meeting up with people and hanging out and kind of, you know, collaborating in general. So it'll be exciting to see what comes to fruition in the next couple of weeks, because it's kind of happening quickly. It feels all of a sudden, but, uh, yeah, I'm excited, man. Well, congrats on the success for the podcast and as always um everyone check out multiply me if you have or scala if you have questions in terms of recruitment or hiring process uh yoni's your guy so make sure you check him out and the team just again linkedin's the best way to connect with you personally correct definitely yeah so you can find me on linkedin and yeah i'm, I'm relatively active i'm less so on facebook so if people hit me up add me etc i apologize it's just not my uh not my platform <laughs> Exactly. Professional wise, we're going to stick with uh, LinkedIn, but check them out. It's in the show notes too, in the comment section, go ahead and click on Yoni's profile, connect with them there. Mention if you heard him on pro uh, crossover commerce, this is episode two. He's been on. So uh, we appreciate him as always the friend of the show, Yoni Kuzminski of Escala and multiply me. Thanks so much for hopping on today, man. Thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, no problem. We'll talk to you later. And again, everyone, thanks for listening to Crossover Commerce. Again, this week is going to be action-packed of people in the Amazon uh, e-commerce space. Excuse me. We just have a great lineup that's going to be going through all the way through the end of the week, uh, talking about inventory levels to building your listing and optimizing your listing. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking a little bit more about uh, even 
diving into a little bit more recruitment process as well. Um, you know, this is a topic where a lot of people are trying to grow and scale quickly. We're going to be diving in with another company on that regards, but best way to be notified of future episodes is to follow us on social media. That's on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Just go ahead and hit the reminder, remind me button, or just follow us on social media or just follow myself. I'll always be posting of new episodes coming out. We go live and then we also have recordings as well. Um, later on on the Apple podcast, Google podcast, uh, Amazon music, wherever you might listen to podcasts, you can check us out. Just search crossover commerce, follow and share our content on there as well. I'm Ron Kramer of Crossover Commerce. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll catch you guys next time on another episode. Take care.